The UN says that humanity stands on the brink of catastrophic man-made climate change. But is it true? Not a chance. But we do stand on the brink of catastrophic government policies that threaten to ruin the nation our forefathers built and defended against tyranny. So what drives the climate scare, Jay? Besides simple ignorance, the scare is driven by corporate greed and the desire of governments to control all aspects of our lives, Tom. Is this part of something more sinister? Indeed it is. Whether it's climate change or a pandemic or socialism, it really means sacrificing your rights and accepting the tyranny of the fourth branch of government, the bureaucracy. It must be stopped. This is The Other Side of the Story with Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris of the International Climate Science Coalition. When I played varsity basketball at Carleton University here in Ottawa 50 years ago, we occasionally heard about star players in the league who actually received payments after exceptionally good games. <laughs> this is not supposed to happen, of course. It is, after all, amateur athletics. But things are now changing in the U.S. Jay, I understand that the new rulings are resulting in so-called amateur athletes in U.S. colleges being effectively compensated richly in some cases for their performances. To discuss all this, we have Larry James, a respected litigator, as well as an advisor to local and national leaders, as our guest today. Larry is a partner in the law firm Crab Brown and James. In 2011, the Ohio State University selected Mr. James as lead counsel to represent its students in NCAA investigations. In 2013, Armin Ketayian published his book, The System, The Glory and Scandal of Big Time College Football, a chapter of which is dedicated to Larry's work in representing the OSU football players. In 2015, noted journalist Will Haygood published his award-winning book, Showdown, Thurgood Marshall, and the Supreme Court nomination that changed America, which he dedicated to Mr. James. Mr. James is a life member of the Sixth Circuit Judicial Conference, and he has served as general counsel of the National Fraternal Order of Police since 2001. He is also co-founder of the African-American Leadership Academy and a member of the Board of Trustees of the Gambier, Ohio-based Kenyon College. Larry, before we discuss how new NCAA rules relating to the ability of athletes to receive financial compensation will impact the Ohio State University, where you are directly involved, we want the audience to understand all the ways new rules are going to affect the sports they enjoy at the college level. So let's dive first into what is known as the NIL rule. Broadly, what does this mean, Larry? Uh, basically, it means that uh, athletes, for their name, image, and likeness, they can be compensated. Uh, if um, businesses think that it's a benefit using them, and even sometimes if businesses do not find a direct correlation between uh, an athlete and a relationship with a product or a business, um, they're going to get X number of dollars for that. Uh, it's a misnomer when you say, I think, uh, when you say that uh, there are these rules uh, relative to name, image, and likeness. It's the wild, wild west. I think colleges and universities would love for the NCAA or someone 
to come in and establish, you know, what are the ground rules if there are going to be ground rules for name, images, and likeness. So whether you're in Texas or Florida or in Ohio, in this case, Ohio State, um, it really is wide open and there are no limit. There are no limits. So in, in other words, any company in a school's hometown could offer money to a player to attend his favorite school. Is that the idea? Well, I don't think it's that direct. You, you know, people are a little bit more sophisticated that if they're going to, you know, what um, Nick Saban was complaining about uh, relative to Texas Tech is that they were using name, image, and likeness for recruitment purposes. That's technically a violation, uh, but it's going to be next to impossible to catch it. So if I'm a business um in 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 at Ohio State, uh, and I say to a top uh, five star recruit, if you come to Ohio State, then we're going to have a half million dollars waiting on you. Technically, that is a violation. If you say to this student athlete, um, as when Ryan Day says, "I need thirteen million dollars in order to be competitive." And the kids says, or the parents say, what are we talking about? And we do like we do in contract law. We say that if you're at this level, then you come here, your name, image, and likeness is going to guarantee you a quarter of a million dollars. That's without making any guarantees. That's just looking at what the businesses and the market's going to uh, bear. If you're a car or auto dealers, you're going to give the individual star player a car. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's wide open. Well, let's say that, uh, I am a car dealer and I offer a, uh, high school kid a half a million dollars to come and let's say play at Ohio state. And I'm giving him the money to use his name, image, and likeness. Who will monitor whether I actually do that? rather than just give them the money to do nothing? Well, it's, it's going to be uh, the financial advisor and or the lawyer. We just saw that LeBron James's son, who's in high school, just received a name, image, and likeness. So it doesn't have to be uh, something that entices you to go to college. The question is at the high school level, and you know we've had a, a miniature debate on that, whether it's appropriate to have name, image, and likeness at the high school level. Uh, that's the first situation I've seen where a high school student has it. Uh, but, you know, you've seen at I think the University of Florida and some of the Texas schools where a business says, I'm going to give you $3 million. And in Ohio State, where Ryan Day says, I need $13 million, that we're going to compensate each and every athlete playing here. LeBron James gave each football player, uh, you know, these new um, headsets. So I don't think anyone has any idea of how name, image, and likeness is, is supposed to work and whether there are going to be any restrictions on how that's going to be. You can go from $2 million to $200. It just depends. You know, we're, we're not talking about the, the rowing team or the uh, synchronized swimming team. We're talking about basketball and football and maybe track. Um, 
and perhaps golf in certain instances. Well, are there right now any limits to how much a booster could offer a high school athlete to come to his school? Larry, is there a limit? Let's say I am a booster and own a car dealership in Columbus, Ohio, and I want a high school boy to come play at Ohio State. Is there a limit how much I can pay that young man to use his name, image, and likeness? Well, technically, you can't use name, image, and likeness for recruitment. That is one thing that is clear. If you're doing that, you're violating the rules. Okay, that certainly was unclear to me. Now, I read that in one school, a booster agreed to pay the tuition for three dozen players to walk on at the school. Could I, as a booster, essentially give scholarships to players that I want to come to Ohio State? Well, I mean, technically, you know, each school has X number of scholarships to give. Um, I can't imagine a circumstances where there would be that many individuals who want to go to Ohio State or any other, uh, you know, the, the, the five conferences uh, where they're not going to be accommodated with a scholarship. But to answer your question directly, if they get on campus, I mean, that's that's a hypothetical that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But, yeah, you could say I'm going to pick it up. But as, as soon as that kid letters or starts participating, he's going to be eligible for one of the scholarships. If they're carrying more kids on and, and each team has a certain number, the NCAA still limits the number of basketball players a team can have and football, same thing, you know, what the travel squad looks like, uh, the practice squad. So uh, yeah, you could do that, but it just doesn't, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me, quite honestly, Jay. Let me move a little bit away from NIL. Uh, it used to be that if a player transferred to play at a different school, he or she lost a year of eligibility and had to sit out a year. Are there new rules now? Well, I think it's good that those rules are gone because, um, I mean, just think about this uh, with uh, Burroughs. If Burroughs couldn't have transferred to LSU and played immediately, where would he be? Um, and I think the new uh, rule of thumb is if you have a top level, particularly, you know, we see in this more in quarterbacking than any other position, you know, if that individual is going to wait a year or two year, or is he, or he, is he going to go to another school where he can play immediately? There aren't going to be any restrictions. And I can tell you, if a school tries to do that, Think about how that's going to negatively impact their ability to recruit a top level player when the other schools are going to say, you know, if you go there, they've got this quarterback that's going to be there for two years. Uh, they're not going to wait their, their time. It's just not going to happen. And it probably shouldn't happen. All right. Well, here's one that I guarantee you there's a, tiny, tiny number of our audience understands what the transfer portal is. I mean, we're hearing that term 
almost on every college football game I've watched, I don't have a clue what that is. And I'm guessing my audience doesn't either. So Larry, do the best you can in explaining it to us. So under the, under the old rule, um, you know, the school had the right to veto that individual's eligibility of going to another school. So they would allow if in many instances, they would allow the player to transfer to school that was not in the conference or not in competition. Under these rules currently, there really are very few restrictions. If a player decides that he or she wants to go to another uh, school within that conference or definitely in division one, they're gonna be able to do it without restrictions. And again, a school that vetoes that request or impedes that request is really gonna hurt their recruiting effort. Coaches are gonna use that against the school. Uh, And I think that um, in Ted Burrow's situation, you know, he was gonna have to wait another two years and maybe, you know, extend his eligibility to five or six years. And the players and their parents, uh, they're just not gonna have that. And if you're a parent and you have a star uh, individual who comes to Ohio State as a quarterback or running back, and all of a sudden the kid ahead of you is doing so well that you're not getting playing time and you can go to Tennessee or LSU, you're gonna do it. All right, well, that I understand, but what I don't understand, and I don't think our audience does either, what's the difference between I, as a player, deciding I want to transfer because I'm not getting enough playing time or going through the transfer portal. I don't I don't see what the difference is. And I've heard in some of the announcers talking about the college game that some people cannot get through the transfer portal. Who and how would that be? I'm not aware of any situation where a kid who's wanted to transfer has not been able to transfer. I am not aware of any of those circumstances. And rest assured, that would be a front page story. Then why do they have the term transfer portal? Then transfer portal is transfer, period. I don't know. I mean, I think it may be a technical uh, terminology or a procedure that a kid says, I have to put my name up and, you know, remember before, if a, a kid wanted to transfer, he had to get permission of that school in order to do that. I'm not sure. And I haven't seen where that has been this case where they've been denied. Um, we represent some student athletes who may get injured uh, and they're worried about whether they're going to get their scholarship and they want to transfer under those circumstances. And I think most schools are happy to say, okay, if you can do it, do it. But I don't, I don't, I'm not able to give you a clear answer to the transfer portal, whatever we want to call it. I think it's just a student declaring their desire that they want to go to another school. Okay. Well, up to a year or two ago, if a student wanted to transfer, he had to sit out a year before he could play. And, and maybe even lose a year of eligibility. Is that true? That is the old rule, yes. All right, so that brings me to ask, how many years of eligibility 
does the average student athlete have to play on his or her college team? And can that number of years be altered in any way? Well, they technically, when they are, you have four years of eligibility. And four years of eligibility is determined. So in basketball, I'm much more familiar. I, I haven't seen, I haven't dealt with it in football. If you play an X number of games, that may take up that one year of eligibility. Um, and we've seen it. So in a basketball player, they play what? Um, I don't know, 30 games. And all of a sudden they play five games and they're over the threshold. You'd have to petition in order to have that not count as a year of eligibility. I don't know what they are in football, but I've, I've dealt with that in basketball. I think let's it's the say, same in football. So let's say you, you get injured after the third or fourth game or something like that. I mean, I, what I usually tell student athletes is you got to be very careful because, you know, that is pretty arbitrary. And that is a clear rule. I, I just can't tell you what it is. Well, in, in all long ago, as assistant lacrosse coach uh, from 1964 to 1967, and uh, we had a player uh, who broke his leg uh, at the end of, it was actually two-thirds into the season. We were able to apply for him to get an extra year of eligibility. Uh, it actually happened twice. In one case, was early in the season, and he got the extra year. In the other case, two-thirds of the season was gone by, and he was unable to get the extra year. So it, it seems like it's uh, somewhat subjective. No, I think most – right. what, what I'm aware of is there is, a, uh, there is a scale, and if you have played an X number of games that year, you may lose your eligibility. The medical exemption – uh, you know, if you play three quarters a game and then you get injured, I, uh, you have to petition. So what if there is an issue, you can petition the NCA. There's a process for recapturing that year of eligibility. But I think they've been pretty strict on how they determine that. What college sports, Larry, will be most affected by these new NCA rules? And for that matter, uh, does the NCA right now control all college sports? Well, yes, they do. Uh, but, you know, I, I think when you talk to the folks at the major universities, they really don't have any control over name, image, and likeness from the standpoint. What some LSU has created, I think o o OSU is trying to create a, a position that will assist the athletes and they will talk to them about financial literacy and planning. You know, how do you market yourself and how do you expand for those other athletes that are not your, you know, superstar, your front page uh, athletes. I remember when Urban Meyer was there and he had first Wednesday. So Urban would bring in a lot of folks and this was right before name, image and likeness. I, I went and, and spoke the head of Nike came in and spoke, uh, the head of certain bank, financial institutions, automobile uh, individuals. So I think you're trying to help these students 
you know, they get an iPad, they get a bank account, they get a checking account, they talk to the parents. So if you're really doing it right, you're trying to make these student athletes financially literate and also how to plan for their future. Because some of these students, what I see happening more often uh, to those who came from certain uh, social economic backgrounds is they're sending money home to their parents or their siblings in trying to help out. So, you know, you applaud them on that, but you'd like to see them with some type of investment portfolio and um, reasonable spending habits. Well, that really does make a lot of sense. There was, a, I know, a dispute between the coach at Alabama, and I, guess, I think it was a coach at uh, Georgia, Nick Saban, accused, was it the Georgia coach? I think it was, it was uh, no, I think it was Texas Tech. Texas, Texas Tech, okay. He accused them of buying their whole team. It created, uh, you know, when the coach finally responded after a tie read, he said he really only got one player through the transfer portal. Did you follow that uh, debate and what was right and what was wrong? No, I think Nick Saban was much more critical about the whole name, image, and likeness. What you're, The question you started out with when we began is the question that uh, Nick Saban accused them of, and that is that they were agreeing these high school students and their family athletes, that they were being offered entice uh, these monies to come to uh, the university and or college. So that's what uh, Nick Saban was complaining about. I would say most of us know that that is going on. Who's, who, who set the rule to begin with? Was it the NCAA? Well, you had the litigation that went on that has really open up a lot of things, you know, uh, you know, the antitrust lawsuits early on about the TV uh, contracts. And then you had uh, players being paid or not being paid or compensated. And I think public opinion just turned against the NCAA and the potential litigation of what you could do with name, image and likeness. And the NCAA really is handicapped. They can't do anything about this subject matter. They have no control over it. They have not articulated. And whether the college, major colleges, uh, athletic directors and presidents are going to get together and agree to uh, some type of uh, limits. But I don't I don't know how you put this genie back in the in the in the box. I just don't see it happening. You know, you've got kids getting a million and two million dollars. Uh, I think the NCA probably acquiesced and conceded to name, image, and likeness as an alternative of paying athletes. And I'll give you some of the examples that were going on. And um, when I was working with Ohio State, and they the the major uh, athletic programs, the coaches, some of the assistant coaches, and some of the coaches' spouse might get a car. That car would be on a lease, uh, be leased out to the individuals. Now, the problem with that was legal because I said to him, I said, do you realize what you're doing? And if Urban Meyer or whoever it was, Jim Trussell or their wife had got involved in an accident, all they were going to get was workers' comp because this is a part of their job. 
So they finally changed that and gave them the car outright to let them. So I think this has all been a work in progress, but the idea that you're going to now put a cap on a student athlete's ability to earn. I was just looking at one of the um, uh, stories that came out on one of the lacrosse players and he's now getting $250,000 because he's one of the top lacrosse players in the country. I mean, if I'm the parent, I want my kid to get every penny he or she can get. And I think when you look at the TV contracts, the question becomes, it allows, I think, potentially the college and universities additional monies that they can support the non-revenue generating sports. At least the fingers are crossed and the knock on wood is, is the thing. I mean, you look at Title IX that we've been back and forth for a number of years, and are we going to have the financial wherewithal to support equally those women's sports in those non-generating areas that we do in the men's sports? So, uh, you know, I, I think that's a philosophical debate that is long since left the station. But it's interesting. So you're saying there could be a positive side of this. It, there is a college positive, athletics. There is a positive side of this. I mean, it's huge. And so we were talking, Tom and I were talking, realize this. And I knew it from basketball. So you get to college in the fall early on and you start conditioning, you start training, and then you start practicing. You're going to be in that gym every day. And then your season starts. And, and then if you're, you know, so this is in September to fall. And then this is basketball. And if you go to tournaments, you're into March. You don't have a life. And if you're poverty stricken or you come from a place that cannot do anything for you, you can't work. The football players at the major programs, they're never off the clock. So how can they have a quality of life? while they're there to do anything. So I take that as a real positive. And the question is, I don't see anyone suffering because of this. We may debate the ethics of it from the standpoint of who's cheating a little bit or who's cheating a whole lot, that we're going to entice these high school student athletes. You come to Miami, uh, I guarantee you a minimum. But hell, they can do that already. If you get a booster who says, I'm going to give the university $20 million to allocate to all the football players, all the basketball players, you know that going in. That's the minimum. And guess what? You're going to get a sweetener. That's all legal. I don't understand. How is that $20 million used without directly paying the athlete? They are directly. Or is it? They, they are, are directly. Absolutely. As long okay, so as long as it does not come directly from the university, it's okay? Well, you see a lot of these not-for-profit corporations, or I call arms of the university, that are going to manage these dollars. And again, we're trying to figure it out. I said earlier, there are no rules. We're making it up as we go. So when a coach like Ryan Day says, I need 13 million to be competitive, and they set up a person who helps administers 
and guide these kids on how to get the monies for name, image, and likeness. It's a bidding war. Now, what colleges do you think are going to benefit the most and what colleges probably won't benefit at all? Are we talking about the highest echelon of football and basketball uh, colleges and uh, small college sports? Well, I don't think it's going to be small. Will not be affected think, at all? Yeah, I don't think you're small. So you're mid-American here in Ohio, you're mid-American and your Division Three, I don't think are going to have the same opportunity to generate dollars. I mean, I think that, you know, you may talk about five or $10,000 here and there, uh, but your major schools, you know, you look at someone like a Notre Dame, what will they do in this? And we don't know. I don't know how they look at uh, name and images and likeness, but I haven't read much stories on them. But the top 10, the Texas, the Alabama, the Ohio States, Georgia, they're going to benefit immensely. Now, the parity, though, having said that, I also think because if you have X number of your student athletes who are taking up the lion's share of the name, images and likeness, let's say in central Ohio, and a student can go to Oregon or Washington and he or she can get in that top level, you know, that's going to encourage those individuals to transfer. And I think it's going to make it a little bit more competitive. we got to go for a break now. We've been interviewing Larry James, who was selected by Ohio State University to be their lead counsel to represent its students in NCAA investigations. When we start the second half, Larry, can you talk a little bit about your personal experience in college athletics? Because yeah. it was pretty, very significant. Yes. So, yeah, that'll be fun. So we'll be right back after the break. Cold and flu season is here. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to minimize airborne viral threats? Well, now there is, and it's a pulvidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray called Cofix RX. You might even say it's just what the doctor ordered. To reduce your chance of getting hurt, you wear a safety belt when you're driving. To limit sun damage, you wear sunscreen on the beach. Cofix RX is just like that. It's an additional layer of protection. It's sold by thousands of pharmacists and medical doctors nationwide. It's made right here in the USA. Again, it's a pulvidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray. You've heard them talk about it here on the Outloud Network over and over again. Check out CofixRx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com for a retailer near you or use coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off at CofixRx.com. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com, where we're healing America one person at a time. For 40 years, alarmists have been warning of a climate catastrophe, yet none of their dire predictions have come true. Temperatures have not soared, sea level rise has not been unusual, and extreme weather events have not increased in either frequency or intensity. In short, there is no climate emergency. For 15 years, the International Climate Science Coalition has led the call for climate realism and a Made in America climate plan. 
a plan based on real science that responds to the real-world needs of Americans, supports economic growth, and strengthens our essential infrastructure. A plan that protects the environment and ensures that Americans can enjoy the blessings of clean air, clean land, and clean water for generations to come. It's time to put ideology and pseudoscience aside. It's time for a sensible climate plan. For more information or to donate, visit our website, icsc-climate.com. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. We are America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. So we're back with Larry James, a respected litigator, as well as an advisor to local and national leaders. Larry's a partner in the law firm Crab, Brown and James. So Larry, I understand that you had a very significant college journey in athletics yourself. Yes, um, I think, so I, let me jump to the Ohio State. I think the tattoo gate with Jim Trussell, uh, Terrell Pryor and that whole group. What happened, um, that started this fiasco at Ohio State, Sports Illustrated had on its cover, Jim Trussell and the Ohio State football team. And they made certain allegations that people were selling their memorabilia, that they were selling um, tattoos, giving tickets, things of that sort, getting usage of cars. And let me just take them one by one. So what I did with the parents um, I called them all in, and there were five players that the Sports Illustrated article had indicated that these individuals were getting free tattoos for certain other benefits. Five of those players that they had named had no tattoos, zero mm -hmm. tattoos. But, you know, the genie's out of the bottle. The other thing they said that they were selling their, you know, their, their memorabilia, their, their little pins and things like that. So I had the parents create a notebook and take a newspaper with the day's date and take a photograph that they had all their son's memorabilia. We put all that together. So that's the backdrop. The other thing they did is there was a gentleman by the name of D. Geronimo outside of Cleveland, Independence, Ohio, that had a construction company. And Devere Posey and Boom Heron, and I forget all the other guys, they would go up and work at that place. And the question was whether they had gotten the right documentation and permission. 
And sometimes they had gotten a sign off for the university. But the main thing was that they were being compensated and they weren't doing the work. So what we did is we tracked their cell. We went back for the time periods they were supposed to work in Independence, Ohio. It's about a two and a half drive from Columbus, Ohio. We tracked the telephone calls from their drive to Columbus, Ohio, to Independence, where they were working, where they were having their lunch. You know, they were going to fast food. They were doing that. So we had all that documentation. So I'm compiling this notebook to deal with the NCAA's investigation. The other thing was whether, in particular, Terrell Pryor was getting certain extra benefits as a result of his car being taken in for repairs and driving these upscale cars. And the rules are, if you're getting the same benefits that the public is, you're okay. So what I had to, the, the Bureau of Motor Vehicles actually do an investigation and they found that everything was kosher. So that was the backdrop of what we had. You'll remember this was a national story, ESPN, you know, Washington Post, New York Times, they had condemned Ohio State because that uh, Sports Illustrated article, and I can't remember the author's name, had put all this stuff out there. The way it works is the student athlete doesn't have an appeal with the NCA. It is the university that has to decide on the appeal. They had imposed various penalties on the various athletes Boom Heron and some of them, they were given three games. Devere Posey was given 10 games because supposedly he was overly compensated for work that he had not done at, at DiGeronimo's uh, business. The issue with Devere's compensation was he was working along union workers who were paid $25 an hour and under the union contract, whoever's working, is mandated that they get the pay, they get paid the same compensation. Well, lo and behold, that's what happened. We get back, we get the documentation, we show, show where they're working, we do the phone records tracking from Columbus to Independence. But by this time, and you know, the university can't say anything. Uh, compliance can't say anything. So I'm the only voice that's going on. And the university finally, rather than go to that 11th hour appeal said, they threw up their hands. And if you look at the article from the Cleveland Plain Dealer some five years later, and they said, where are they now? It tells a story. And if we were, you know, in the old school, I would like to have taken those investigators out to the woodshed because <laughs> they now say, well, we weren't sure, but we thought, which was, just a cockamamie. Blah. Yeah. <laughs> and, but that was the saga of what led to the demise of Jim Trussell and that team at that year. And, you know, there was a movement to try to go back and restore those games to Ohio State. But I think that was probably the worst uh, travesty I've ever seen, I've ever seen any place. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, and I told the people, I said, listen, don't believe me. Here are the documents. Here are the parents. Here are the newspaper. Here's their memorabilia. You know, these are the telephone records. 
It shows you going from Columbus, Mansfield, Solon, you know, and, and it was documented. Mm-hmm. Armand Katayan's book, it was called The System. There's a chapter dev- devoted to what we did and how we did it during that time period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it strikes me that besides being, you know, a super lawyer and litigating these things, you would have even greater credibility with a lot of them because you were personally an athlete in university. Can you tell our audience just briefly what you did athletically in university? Well, I think that, you know, I, I came out of high school. I was captain of the basketball team. I went to Wittenberg, which is a division three school. And freshman year, I led him in scoring and got uh, most valuable player. But I, I will tell you, because I remember that year getting to campus and not having a life and going through that. And Wittenberg at that time was a division three powerhouse. And even though I didn't dress varsity, you, you practice with them. And then they went to the tournament. So you had no life. And I was a scholar athlete. So I'm carrying, you know, a, a pretty decent GPA because I remember when I when I decided I wasn't going to come back sophomore year, I got more money because of my academic academic eligibility and qualifications. So I and I'm, I'm, I'm the oldest of seven kids. Uh, we come from poverty. My mom had a third grade education. Uh, She wasn't able to provide me anything. The thing that we did that was amazing, the biggest uh, cheat for most athletes during that time period was work study. Mm. Uh, Basketball was our work study. Football was our work study. Uh, And you got, you know, your spending, that was your spending change. You know, when you look at athletes and you look at their ability to pursue their academic excellence, you don't have time because your competition is trying to protect and improve on whatever skill set you have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, Jay and I are both sort of athletic nuts. Um, We're really into sports and athletics. So are you staying active physically in these days? No, I have four tickets to every high state home football game. I I haven't been to a game in three years. Oh, well. Oh, well. I think, I think, and I'll tell you why there is just so much pressure on these kids. I remember being in the stands and they're booing the quarterback and the athletes. And you, you see it. I mean, you see it when you look at a Jalen Hurst, what happened to him. And you talk about transferring to another school and being eligible to immediately play. And you have, you know, no matter how good you are. You're one game away from losing that starting position. Yeah, exactly. Just as a 18, 19, 20-year-old, to have that kind of pressure on you, my God, that's, mm-hmm. that's just ungodly. Yeah. I, I get the impression when I go to local basketball games that college players today are a lot better than they were 50 years ago. Am I exaggerating or is that true? Oh, no. They're bigger. They're faster. They're smarter. They're trying to determine their future. Mm-hmm. You know, this name image likeness is now they're, they're learning early negotiations. One thing I noticed, for example, is people who could dunk on our team, that was kind of a claim to fame. Now, <laughs> I, now I watch them warm up and everybody's dunk, dunk, dunk. <laughs> yeah. If I have one complaint, no one stays in one place anymore. 
you know, whether you're one and done, you know, the Kentucky model, uh, two years at the most and they're done. So the longevity of loyalty, and I'm not, this is as a fan. I mean, the Pete Maravich experience that you watched him or Rick Mount or Bob Lanier and all those folks back then, and you watch the skill sets being perfected. Mm-hmm. And so the appreciation of the game, I mean, you know, you watch now, I mean, there's no such thing as palming the ball. Mm. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they're constantly <laughs> turning it over. Absolutely. I see it all the time. I think, whoa, we would have been called for that. <laughs> and the skill set, you try to think of yourself, you know, the modern day point guard. I mean, it started with Irvin Magic Johnson, you know, six 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 nine. And, and at these elite colleges, I mean, the skill sets just are unreal. And the ball handling skills, I mean, part of it may be Pullman, but what they do with a basketball is magical. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's well, magical. Yeah, they dribble between their legs just like you and I breathe. <laughs> <laughs> well, Larry, you might have someone on the schedule you thought wouldn't be too tough competition, but now because of NIL? They're going to be a lot tougher. No, I think I, I think your major schools are still going to dominate. I mean, your Ohio State, uh, your Alabamas, your Georgias, your Texas A and M, uh, and others. It'll be interesting whether the U- USC, UCLA, the Washington, Oregon, uh, whether they can compete with these powerhouses. But over the last since we went to the playoffs. You've seen that basically there have been eight top schools that you could argue maybe should, you know, we've only had four, but you could expand that to eight. Those schools have been consistent. I understand there's some legislation being considered uh, by former football coach Tommy Tuberville and Joe Manchin from West Virginia to have the federal government step into the NIL debate. Do you know anything about that? That's not going to happen. <laughs> huh? no, that's okay. not going to happen. That's not going to happen. So that sounds like good, <laughs> good news for the federal yeah, government. To, uh, I, uh, you know, that was the threat, the legislation uh, early on when we, whether you're talking about the ability of athletes to transfer without restrictions the idea of TV contracts, it, money's going to drive everything. One of the things, you know, when you talk about intervention of this, you know, whether the Power Five conferences were going to break off from the NCAA because money drives, when you look at the contract that Notre Dame has and has had for a number of years, it's kept them independent. Now they've joined the basketball conference and the other conferences. And I think in two years, I think they will join a conference in football. I think think the money will drive it so much because there's such a tradition and there's that argument that because of their academic standards, they can't be competitive. You know, I don't know if that's true. When I look at Oregon, I look at Washington, maybe they're a little bit different, but I think in order for them to be competitive, they're going to have to join a conference because otherwise uh, they're going to get left behind. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is a side question. You, you know, in representing these players, do you see very many of them make it to the pros? No, there. I mean, the, the you know the percentage is you know I don't know what that percentage is. It's probably less than seven percent. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you're talking about you know having a career of maybe six years. <laughs> mm. I mean, Tom Brady is you know you don't you don't see that, but um, I think these kids today. Um, if they get a financial advisor, they get a lawyer, uh, their parents are going to come. Uh, I get a lot of requests. I'm not in the business of representing student athletes in their financial undertaking. We've talked to the university about uh, even if the university creates an advisory or a position to advise them and assist in the name, image, and likeness, is that a conflict? Mm -hmm. So. I would hope that they would send them out so that they ha they can have independent advisory input about what's good and what's not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I heard a fair number of the NBA players when they speak to high school kids say that their chances of being an NBA player are about the same as being an astronaut. So they'd better have some backup plan. <laughs> yeah. Not just basketball, because I guess, you know, it, it's not just that you're very good. You also have to be good at the time the scout is watching. And so there's a fair amount of luck involved, isn't there? There is. And, you know, basketball is a little bit different than football. So you can find those mid-American schools and you can find those athletes. You know, when you look at uh, who is the guard for um, San Francisco, uh, the, the James Curry. Curry. Curry, where do, you, where do you go to Davidson or where? Yeah, yeah, yes. So you have a lot of those athletes um, that went to not powerhouse basketball as opposed to football is a little bit different because uh -huh. I think the skill sets. Um, you know, you got you know the feeder system is going to be Kentucky. Uh, I don't know what's second to that, North Carolina, um, but. Yeah, um, but it's a it's a crapshoot, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and exactly. and you know if you get hurt, you're done. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I tell you one of the things, I'll tell you one of the things that helped me, um, in a lot of these investigations because of my relationships. I'm general counsel to the National Fraternal Order of Police. Right. So I represent cops across the. Um, the, the the country so when we had those investigation things and the other thing uh that i was involved uh, with the urban meyer situation here on you know when he um whether he knew or didn't know uh, about the one uh, assistant coach and what he had or had not done uh, i got called into that <clears throat> i investigated it I talked to the uh, police officers, detectives that were involved. I talked to the prosecutor that was involved. I talked to the divorce lawyers because the, 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 the coach and the woman were getting divorced. Talked to both of them and there was no issue uh, relative to the allegation of physical. Um, but again, you know, the things uh, once the media gets a hold of it, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure.
And I think, and, and if you're an athlete and, you know, Urban was really tight on this, you know, about, you know, your relationship with women and particularly with the money now, think about this and the potential ac accusations uh, that isn't to, 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 to compromise anything that has gone on with certain schools. <clears throat> but I will say that the advice that these male student athletes need where they are, I would leave sex alone. I'll tell you the funny story because I'm going to have to run here. But one of the kids um, that ran into a problem, not with the NCAA, but he had just decided because he's going to go pro. Um, if he wanted sex, he'd hire a prostitute <laughs> just so that there would never be a situation that came up. And he got busted in a sting. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> and it was his senior year. Oh, man. <laughs> and I said, why did he? He said, listen, I've got too much at stake. And I knew that if I go and I paid a couple hundred bucks, I could have sex. I could go home. Uh, you know, I was going to make sure no diseases or anything like that. But I'm good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a different world, eight to 50 years ago. <laughs> oh, man. Is it ever? Hey, Jay, you got a last question? We, we got to wrap up. Uh, well, I do. It's a, a very positive comment. Uh, Jim Tressel you know, fell into a very bad situation. He did this close to nothing. And it's really a lot of people may not know, but he rose to become president of Youngstown State University, which I think uh, was justice being served. And uh, we're so proud of him in central Ohio. And uh, a very good note for people who don't remember what ended up uh, happening uh, because he didn't admit to an e email he read. It was that simple, is my understanding. And uh, justice was served. He rose up the ranks and was a phenomenal. I guess he's still there, Larry. Uh, well, yeah, he's, 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 he's announced his retirement, and I knew uh -huh. Russell very well. And you're absolutely right. What had happened is that one. it was a lawyer who was representing uh, one of the tattoo shops and supposedly he had information that the athletes were selling their memorabilia. And he'd sent an email to Jim, you know, and you know, you're talking about thousands of emails. And I remember because Jim and I got to be very close and, and, you know, he didn't want to get a lawyer. And cause he had asked me, you know, would you represent me? I said, coach, I can't, I represent the kids and, and that would be a conflict and too sensitive. And he went into that interview without looking at those emails and said, and he denied having any information whatsoever. But I'll tell you, you know, he is a professor. He is the professor. I, um, my wife started an organization called the Center for Healthy Families. And uh, they were, uh, you know, and it's about 17 years old now, and it deals with team, pa team parents and how do we assist them and their families. And I remember calling coach uh, Jim Trussell and I said, you know, uh, would like you to interview a guy by the name of Andy Andrews. Um, <clears throat> and I, you know, so Jim drives down from Youngstown, meets us here, my wife and I, and said, 
I just want to understand what you're trying to achieve, things of that sort. <laughs> and he and Andy Andrews uh, that night, and I didn't know, were very close. Jim had read most of his books, and it was just a lovely, lovely evening. They could have gone on forever talking about things that mattered and that held our attention spellbound. But he was just a class act. He never complained. He never regretted. And he never accused anyone of dealing him a bad hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So our guest today has been Larry James, a respected litigator. He's a partner in the law firm Crab Brown and James. In 2011, the Ohio State University selected Mr. James as lead counsel to represent his student athletes in NCAA investigations. Very interesting discussion about name, image, and likeness where students can be paid for this now, which is going to be a big change in how the operation actually occurs for athletics and university. So once again, thank you, Larry, for being on our show. It's my pleasure. Uh, and as we move into the next best uh, during the holiday season upcoming. Yeah, for sure. So this is Tom Harris and Dr. Jay Lair signing out from the other side of the story.